Halloween was on Wednesday, and kids came home with lots and lots of candy. And whoever did donate candy to our Awana box, I really do appreciate that because there was an awful lot. Now, there's a lot of kids who went trick-or-treating before. They came and got their candy, and they went trick-or-treating after. So they had a load of candy, right? Uh, how many of you kids brought candy to church today? Okay, how many of you would like a sucker? Okay, if you'd like a sucker, come on up here. We're going to have a little kid message. I thought about talking about sharing, but since they didn't bring their candy, there's no sense in doing that, talking about sharing. So we're going to talk about school. Uh-oh. It's not going to be funny at all, but you get a sucker out of it at least. <clears throat> okay, so the quarter ended just about a week ago, right? So you guys are a quarter of the way done. That's actually plus five days would make about 50 days of school that you guys have gotten through, right? Now, how have you guys liked it? How have you liked school? Teachers, don't look. Okay. Okay, I'm not seeing too many. Okay, I got Elise who's, okay, we got two. We got two people with a thumbs up. Okay, that's too bad because you guys still have a lot of school left. Hopefully it gets better. Okay, so since you guys went to school for a whole quarter, you guys are in a new class with some new students and some new teachers, some new subjects. I'm kind of curious, what is the best part about school this year, Taven? Making a pumpkin and coloring it. Okay, so it's probably like the craft kinds of things. Oh, painting it. Okay. What about you, Justice? Math. Ooh, we got a math student in here. You like math. Okay. Kennedy, our new PE teacher. Okay, good. Okay, well, I put your hands down. I'm glad you guys like school. Okay. Okay, so here's the best question. What is the worst part about school? Okay, Elise, what's the worst part? Okay, we have to run in recess? That doesn't sound like fun. Okay, Tegan, what's the worst part? When you have school. Okay, okay, so put your hands down. So you guys know why you go to school, right? For reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? So you guys can learn now so that you can build on it later and you can become whatever you want to be, right? That's kind of the idea behind it. How many of you ever have homework? Okay, so you, sometimes you have homework. Yeah, sometimes. Okay, you have homework. How many of you like having homework? When I was in the third grade, it was the first year I ever got homework, and I thought, I'm going to love having homework. The very first day of school, I got it, and I thought, I don't like this anymore because I couldn't go out and play right after school, right? That's what you like to do. But we still have to do it even if we don't want to, right? I mean, even if you don't have homework, sometimes you have papers in school. You guys got to do math papers or science papers or practice writing. You guys have to do those things even if you don't like it, because you guys are students, right? That's kind of like it's your duty, it's your responsibility, it's your job, right? You're in school, you need to do those things, even if it's not very much fun. Did you guys know that as a Christian, you guys have a duty or a responsibility or something that God wants you to do? What, what are some things that you guys think, if, you, if you're a Christian, what are some things that you think God wants you to do? Caleb, tell people about Jesus. Love school? I don't see that in the Bible. You don't have to love school. You have to do your best in school, but you don't have to love it. So, okay, Elise. Listen to your parents, okay? Love your enemies. Ooh, that's a tough one, okay? Obey him, obey God. 
Okay, so everything that we read in Scripture, you can leave her alone. We're supposed to do that. Now, when you guys turn in your homework at school, does your teacher say, oh, thank you for turning this in? Not really, no, because it's what you're expected to do, right? This is for your grade. When you guys do what God wants you to do, does he come down and pat you on the head and say, boy, Taven, I'm sure glad that you did that? No, he doesn't do that. But, you know, even though God doesn't do that, God tells us in the Bible that he will reward us for the things that we do here on earth. Anybody feel like reading a uh, verse for me? Okay, Taven, you want to do it? Okay, I'm going to let Taven do it. He beats you to it. How about you each read a verse, okay? Okay, so you're going to read verse 23. Whatever you do. Work at it with all your heart, and working for the Lord, not for men. Okay, that's good. Come here, Tegan. Thank you, Tegan. Verse 24. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Good job. Thank you, guys. So, he says, whatever you do, whether you are at school, or whether you're cleaning your room because your parents told you to, or whether you're raking in the yard, he says, whatever you do, work at it as if doing it for the Lord, because you will be rewarded. He's not going to come down and say, thank you for doing this, but when you die, you get to heaven, there's going to be like a pile of rewards waiting for you if you did what you did as for the Lord. So, tomorrow when you guys go to school, and you go, oh man, Mrs. Berkeley gives homework again, Okay. Or I have these papers that I have to fill out. And you go, I don't want to do that. You guys have to do that, right? And it's for your own grade. But when you do what God wants, I want you to remember that to do what God wants you to do and knowing that God's going to reward you if you do it well, okay? So let's close your eyes and let's pray. And then you can have a sucker, okay? Dear God, I do thank you for these kids. God, I thank you for their, their heart to want to do, to know what your word says and to put it into practice. And I pray that you bless them with uh, the desire to do your work well and to be able to do what you want them to do. I just uh, pray that as they go to school, as they have homework and assignments, that they would be reminded that we need to do uh, everything that you want us to do as well and to do the best we can at it. And I pray for you to help them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Here you go. We're going to start with Tristan, and you guys can pass it down. Okay, so you guys probably get the idea behind the, the kids' message is to make sure that they are doing everything that God has asked them to do, just like the teacher asked them to do it. They don't want to do it, but they say, okay, I'm going to, and not because they're trying to impress God, not because they're trying to earn favor with God, but because of what God has actually done for them by dying on the cross to pay for their sins. And, oh, by the way, God will reward us on the side if we're willing to do that. So that's, that's the kid version. We're going to look at the adult version of the same thing. Luke chapter 17, verses 9, or Luke chapter 17, verses 7 to 10. And I would encourage everybody, go like this. Get your fingers all limbered up. You're going to have a hot Bible, hot fingers by the time we're done today if you try to keep up. Okay, Luke chapter 17, verses 7 to 10. 
It says, suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Verse 9, would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. I want to pray one more time. God, I do thank you for your salvation, for the free gift of salvation that you give us. God, that was not something that we earn. It's not something that uh, we make you happy with us uh, as if we were deserving to go to heaven. God, you just loved us so much that Jesus paid for our sins so we could have eternal life. But help us, God, to have a heart and a desire to want to serve you with every breath that we have and every action that we take. Again, I just ask for you to give me the words to say and you would bless the rest of this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first thing we have is this little scenario that Jesus is presenting to his disciples about a rich man, or not even a rich man, a man who has a servant. Back in that day, if you had a slave owner or someone who owned slaves, he didn't usually have a lot of them. And so you, this guy apparently has just one slave, and he's a jack of all trades. He's a rancher because he looks after the animals. He's a farmer. He's a cook. He's... Uh, He's the waiter, and he's probably even the busboy. He's even the janitor. So you have one slave, and he's doing a lot of different things. He's multi-talented. And this guy is put in a position. He can't do anything about this. He's the servant, and he has to do everything that he is told to do. It doesn't matter what he's already done all day long. He just has to do the next thing and the next thing because that's exactly what he was bought for, what he was made a slave for. And ultimately, we see through this story that we as servants of God should do exactly what this, master, this servant did for this master, everything that God has asked us to do. Uh, whatever it is, for as long as it takes, wherever it takes us, and we should do it without arguing or complaining. But uh, Jesus sweetens the deal. We don't see it in the scripture right here, but we're going to look at the end of the message about how he does reward us for the things we do while we're living here on earth. So the deal gets sweetened, even though we should just say we're unworthy servants, we're supposed to be doing this because of what Jesus is giving us. He says, I'm going to make the deal better. I'm going to reward you in heaven uh, if you do, do what I've asked you to do. So the first thing we see is that God's people are God's servants. Now this starts out with the disciples in Luke chapter 17, uh, verse 1, you find out that Jesus is talking to his disciples. We saw that last week. And so when he's talking to his disciples in verse 10 he says so you also when you have done everything you were told to do right he's saying you guys are in the same kind of position as these servants you are the ones who are uh in the same kind of position as these guys they you are called to be servants of god disciples and these these disciples have done this back in matthew verses 19 or chapter 19 verse 27 you find out to what extent these disciples have gone in order to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus. Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. These guys say, we are going to be servants to the extent we are living, giving up everything that we possibly have to go where uh, God wants us to do. That means these guys gave up their family obligations. They couldn't be home every time somebody wanted them home for every holiday or for every special event that might have come up. They gave up their places of employment. You had the fishermen who gave up their fishing. Obviously, dad is not going to be happy with the fishermen 
who he's trained from a little kid, expecting to take over the family business, and now they say, kind of at the last minute, sorry, Dad, I don't want this. I want to go do something else. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector. He was a guy who would have pockets full of money because he was supposed to collect taxes, but he could easily collect more. He gave that up in order to be a follower of Jesus. They gave up their security, right? They gave up their safety. Not many people that day were getting persecuted for being fishermen. That was a safe, easy job. They could have spent their whole life fishing at night, selling their fish during the day, and sleeping the rest of the time. They could have done that and been okay. But they gave up that safety. They gave up their time. Because following Jesus is not a 9-to-5 job. Uh, it, you know, uh, it, it's, it's an all-day, every-day kind of situation. So they gave an awful lot in order to be a servant of God. They did do that, and, they, and Jesus knows in the future they are going to do that even more. Uh, if you read through the book of Acts, you find out a lot about the disciples and what they gave in order to be a servant of God, in order to be a disciple of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, uh, you find out that Peter, he preached the gospel, and he preached and 3,000 people got saved. Wouldn't you like to have heard that message? Right, 3,000 people are getting saved. This guy was powerful. But when he started out, he's just a fisherman. He had no idea where his life following Jesus was going to lead him. But ultimately, that's where he led him. Shortly, a few chapters before this, you find that Peter and the disciples are afraid. They're hiding in the upper room praying because they're afraid of the Jews. The Jews have taken out Jesus. Uh, he's died on the cross. He's rose again. They don't un believe that. But the, these disciples are afraid that they're next. But now you find him that he's preaching the gospel and 3,000 people are getting saved. So that's one of them. Another guy by the name of Philip, he's explaining, you find him in Acts chapter 8, he's explaining a passage of scripture from Isaiah to an Ethiopian eunuch. He didn't expect to be doing that. All he it is where God led him, but he, he explained this passage. This Ethiopian eunuch got saved. He said, look, there's some water. Let's go get baptized. I want to get baptized right now. And you see the example of believe and be baptized, and that's what he did. You find out that Peter, you find out that Philip, and you find out that these disciples all were uh, servants of God, they, even to the point where they were willing to die a martyr's death because they believed in Jesus, and they're willing to follow him to the very last moment. And how does Jesus respond to these guys? Uh, you find in Luke chapter 7, this is how you guys should respond. He says, when you have done everything that you were told to do, you should say, Really, you're, we're unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, Jesus isn't trying to belittle these guys. He's not trying to say, yeah, you're not really worth that much because Jesus knows these guys are going to be the ones who spread the gospel around the whole world. He knows they're going to be turning the world upside down. He knows they're going to be the people who are leading, uh, sharing the gospel with everywhere they go. So he knows the, important, the impact that they're going to have. But he's also trying to get across this idea that's really hard to handle is that we are, we are just people. What are you laughing at? We are just people, okay? We don't deserve or earn anything from what... Uh, we're, we're not to the point where we're something special, where God says, boy, am I glad that I, Josh got saved or that Peter got saved because look at what he's doing. No, you're just a servant. You're not even really... He's telling the disciples, you're not even really worthy to be a servant. You don't have that kind of uh, class even to be in that because you're just a sinner who needs a savior because he wants to point out how great God is and how much God loves these guys and what he did for them. Sometimes you point out the less to, to amplify the greater, and that's kind of the situation that's going on. 
And he's, their response should be that they should be spending every moment they have to follow God and do what he's asked them to do. Servants of that day, uh, the people of God of that day were called to be God's servants. The same is true for us today. People of today are called to be God's servants as well. This, the, ex, the expectation that Jesus had for his disciples is the same expectation that he has for us as well. And that is, you find out in verse 10, to do everything that we were told to do. Now, we don't like that very idea very much. I mean, I, I struggle with the idea of being told to do something because I am 40 years old, right? I am a man, I have a, par- I have a wife, I have kids that I get a boss around. I don't like having that experience where people are always telling me what to do. You know, I, I, I moved seven or 800 miles away from home. I don't, I don't want to go through that. And in America, we, we, we feel kind of the same way. If someone's telling you to do something, it's obviously something that you're supposed to do, but it's probably not something that you immediately want to do by yourself. A lot of people say, I don't want to do what someone else tells me to do. Besides, I don't really have time to do what someone else wants me to do. But the idea isn't about adding one more thing to your busy schedule. The idea is to make Jesus your schedule. It's not about adding one more thing to your busy life. It's about making Jesus your life, to do what he wants you to do, putting him first. Whatever he's asking you to do, you say, I'm going to do that, no matter what anybody else is asking me to do. Our scripture reading, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, in view of God's mercy, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Worship In view of what God has done for me, Josh McLaughlin here in Plevna, uh, God has given me salvation. In view of that, I should be willing to do anything that God has asked me to do. It's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be enjoyable. But it's something that God wants me to do, and I need to put it into practice. It's about doing what he has asked me to do. But here here might be some good news. It might be some not so good news. It's your choice if you're going to do what God asked you to do. Okay? I'm here in Plevna. Today is our two-year anniversary. I'm here in Plevna. About 2.30 today, two years ago, we moved to Plevna. And that was something that I felt like God wanted me to do, and so we moved here. But you know what I could do? I could close my Bible right now, and I could say, Leslie, Noah, Caleb, let's go. We're going to go home, we're going to pack up our stuff, and we're going to leave. And who's going to stop me? God's not going to stop me. I don't think he's going to give me four flat tires. I don't think he's going to have an angel stand in the way or put a donkey in the way or something to stop me. He's going to let me go. It's not what he wants me to do, but he's going to let me go because it's my choice. But it's not my choice in the sense that God doesn't care, right? When God gives us a mission or a call in our life, he wants us to do it whether we want to or not. It's our duty. It's our obligation. It's our responsibility to do what God has asked us to do. God created this world. Okay, that's the truth. God created this world. He loves you. He loves what he's put into your life, but he doesn't want what he's put into your life to become more important than he is. And I know the thought of going, oh, okay, good, there's, there's something else I have to do. Because I know everybody is busy. I mean, you, you don't have to spend long talking to anybody in the world to find out that there are busy people. And it sometimes comes across like, great, this is just something else I have to do. This is something else I have to do. First John 5.3 says that God's commands are not burdensome. 
You know, they're not supposed to be this extra heavy weight that I have to carry around. Here's an extra rule book. I got to make sure that I follow. I got to make sure I do this and that because of, of what uh, God's asking me to do now after all these things I've already committed to. It's about saying no to everything else. It's about saying yes to what he's asked me to do. You, you will enjoy doing what God has asked you to do. But you've got to take that step. You've got to make that choice and say, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to look, but I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. When it comes down to God asking you to do something, there's, there's two different categories that I, I see here. You have the specific and you have the general things. Now, when I think about specific, I think about things that are usually known to you first uh, or, or something that, or revealed to you first. I mean, other people might look and say, you know what, I see Anita's got the ability. I'm only picking on her because she's just got this great big smile. Is my zipper down? Or what? Um, but God says, I've got something unique that I want her to do. And I'm going to let her know first, right? That's kind of how that works. Uh, in the Bible time, uh, Genesis chapter 6, Noah built an ark. Right? That's a one-time thing. I'm sorry, if you've got plans to build an ark, I'll come over and help you. But there's not going to be the biggest flood in the world to be able to float this boat on. Okay? So that was a one-time thing God asked Noah to do. Uh, Mary was the mother of Jesus. That's only a one-time, one-person thing, right? There's, there's no way you can have two people be the mother of Jesus. It's something specific that God has asked them to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has uniquely blessed and designed you to do specific things that he has not asked me to do. And he's asked me to do things that he has not asked you to do. Uh, there's those of you who work in the medical field, gifted in, in medicine or, or that kind of thing. Those of you who can cook. How many ranchers do we have out there? Or those who can do accounting, building, education. The list goes on and on of ways God has uniquely gifted you. He's put you in special places to connect with certain people. You're going to connect with them. I am not. You know, it's really hard to get in a conversation. I had this at, before basketball started. Uh, my wife has experienced this too. It's really hard to say, well, what do you do? You're trying to be friendly. You ask someone, what do you do for a living? Or they ask my wife, what does your husband do for a living? As soon as you say, pastor, like everybody's afraid of us. It's like, what did I say? Are they going to be judgmental or whatever it is? But it's like, it's a bad word. Okay, so... People are not going to connect with me the way that they will connect with you. God has put you in corners of this area to reach certain people in a way that I can't. But there's different ways that you can use your skills and abilities for the Lord. I, I think of mechanics. When we went to North American Baptist Conference, uh, they had this really cool idea where they, at this church, I don't know, it wasn't like a big mega church, but they had these mechanics who said, we want to get together and we want to bless it, mainly the women of the the community, though he could bless me as well, and we want to have a car day, okay? So if women need their, their tires rotated, they need their oil changed, they need their wind wipers put on, they serviced 34 cars that day because they were using what God had given them the ability to do. They just used it in a practical way to help other people. So mechanics, if you'd like to, I can't hardly change my windshield wipers, okay? So, but you have, you have people who can cook. How many people here, raise your hand if you would, please, cooked a cake last week, right? TC, even TC cooked a cake, and it was a good cake. But you use what abilities that you had in order to help us out with youth group. 
It's just using your God-given abilities in order to bless every, everybody else. So some of those things are going to be specific. Uh, it might be a missionary to the Congo. It might be Patrick and Serafina adopting a little boy named Gage. You know, looking after an orphan. It says in James chapter 2, look after orphans and widows in their distress. That's exactly what they're doing. How many other people do that? Right? Most of us, I mean, even though we're, we're sort of in that boat trying to do that, but it's, it took me a long time to want to do that. Because we're like, okay, I'm going to have my freedom. And I'm, but not everybody's called to do that. God says, hey, I've designed those two people, and I want them to do it. They said, okay, we're going to do that. But it's a specific thing that he's asked them to do. It might be just being the friend of that difficult student at work or that difficult person at work. It might be inviting your neighbor over to, to share a meal with you because you want to, get, you want to share Christ with them. Uh, last night, uh, uh, Bob and Carol Lee, they were, they'd shot a deer and they're skinning it. It had everything. It was wonderful. But I got to thinking, you know who, I mean, even though we, we try, we're the, we're the people who are supposed to reach them. I got to thinking about Steve, and he lives, I don't know, like 40 miles away. I mean, it, and it's not going to work for Steve to go next door really and say, hey, why don't you come over for dinner, right? Because that's, he can do that, but it's going to be a lot more difficult. Just the same as Steve has a neighbor, it's not going to work really well for me to go 40 miles away and say, why don't you come 40 miles back to my house to have a dinner? You guys get the idea that you have people in your spheres and in your world that you need to connect to because they're your neighbors. They're, they're the people that God has put into your, your circles. The request that God makes for you might be as unique as you are. Okay, And that, that, that just is a limitless possibility, the imagination that God has. So God might give you a specific call on your life. But God also has something that's general that he wants everybody to do no matter what. I got a couple examples. 2 Timothy 2.15 or a one verse, uh, it's kind of where the approved workmen are not ashamed comes from. It says, do, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Guess who's supposed to do that? Not just your Sunday school teacher, not just your missionary, not just the guy who's up here talking. Everybody has a Bible. Everybody is supposed to be reading this and studying it and putting it into practice. That's a general command that the servants of God are supposed to fulfill. Okay? So if you're doing that, good job. If you're not, I would encourage you to get your Bible out sometime today and start trying to do it. Another one, 1 Corinthians 13. Everybody knows that it's the famous what chapter? Love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And it goes on. That's the general command that God expects everybody to do. Okay, it might look different in everybody's life, but that's something specific that God wants everybody to do. So hopefully, I mean, if, hopefully that makes all, all, a plenty of sense. Okay, so we're all supposed to be a servant of God. How are we supposed to do this? Well, we looked at this briefly. We had two kids read it here. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. I need to make sure that if I'm digging a ditch for work or if I'm vacuuming the church or if I am teaching a kid at school that I'm doing this as for the Lord. Uh, not for men, since I know that I will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is really the Lord Christ that I am serving. Whoever I'm working for, I can look at them as if they're Jesus. They could be the biggest jerk in the world, but I can look at them as if they're Jesus and do the best that I can 
and I have a reward that will be waiting for me, but I need to do the best that I can. So look at it this way. My God deserves my best. He deserves the best that Josh McLaughlin can do in whatever Josh does because he died on the cross to pay for my sins so that I can have eternal life. God does not treat me as my sin deserves. And praise the Lord for that because I deserve hell multiple times. But he says, I love you, Josh. Uh, God gives me peace that passes understanding. He gives me hope. Uh, when, when things seem like they're going wrong, he gives me purpose. I have a reason to be living in life because he gives me purpose. He forgives me. He gives me a future. Right? I have something to look forward to, not just until I'm 80 years old and I retire. I have heaven to look forward to because of what Jesus did for me. So every breath, every action, every thought I have should be pleasing to God. The best example in Scripture is who? Of, of being a servant. Jesus, right? Yes, Jesus. He's the best example. You can go to multiple places in order to, to look at this. I'm going to look at Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus paid the ultimate price. He was the greatest possible example of somebody willing to give, uh, of be a servant. And because of that, all I can say is I'm an unworthy servant. I'm only doing what I should be doing. I'm not even worthy to be called the servant of God because I am not anything special. Honestly, the only thing, reason I can do whatever I do is because God gave me the ability to do that. If God didn't say, if he said all of a sudden oh, you can't talk anymore, I'm going to be... And y'all will be going, yahoo, he's finally shutting up, right? But all I can do is what God has given me the ability to do. And I should give him my life because I'm getting eternal life. This, this few short years of life that I have left, great. But that doesn't compare with anything that's coming. I should spend every waking moment I have doing what God has asked me to do. Whether it's the specific or whether it's the general, I need to be obeying him. Now in this little story, back in Luke you, you find this master who does not say one word of thanks to the servant. He doesn't need to. He doesn't have to because this is the servant. He's doing what he's supposed to. But Jesus doesn't act like the servant. He says, um, I will reward you for the things you do in this body. And I hope to drive this point home because I know this life is long. I know there's lots of things competing for our time and our energies. And it's hard to do, feel like we're adding something else to our life. But I want to remind you that not only are you getting eternal life, you're getting so much more than that. So we saw Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to 23. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We are going to receive based off of what we did here on earth. Right? We're going to receive in heaven eternally, not, not corruptible, not destroyable, for eternity what we based off of what we do here. I had this little conversation with Caleb, uh, my son Caleb, the other day, and, and about eternity, and he's trying to understand how long is eternity and how we're never going to die, and he, he responded like the typical response. That sounds boring. I mean, I'm like, well, it's better than the alternative. <laughs> but it's like, here's, here's a verse that says, First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, No eye has seen no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. 
You, you get out your drawing book and you draw to your wildest imagination, it is not even going to come close to what you are going to have in eternity. And I guarantee you it's going to be worth it. It's just one of those things you've got to take by faith now and make sure that you try to do what God has asked you to do because it will pay off later. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. This is, this is kind of similar to what you'll, you'll find in your bulletin as a quote, but it says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. You might forget. I mean, I'm 40 years old. I can't remember back to when I was six or seven years old really went on. You know, and I, 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 maybe it's wishful thinking. I hope there's things my whole life of things that I did as a servant to God that God's going to say, hey, Josh, do you remember you did this? Here's your reward because you did this. I might have forgotten, but God is not going to forget. Nothing's going to slide. He's going to remember everything that you did, and he's going to reward you for what you did. Now, I just want to make this really clear before I close is salvation is not something that you earn. Okay? We're supposed to do all these things as a response, as, as an act of love for what God did for us, but salvation is not something that you earn. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Ephesians 2.8.9, kind of along the same lines. So it's not, you're not trying to be good enough to earn your salvation. You cannot do it. No matter how good you are, I'm sorry, you're going to fall short. Good works also do not repay God for the, the sin that we've done. It's not like we, we owe a debt that this big and every little thing we do starts to make our salvation mean less because we're paying God back to finally we can say, good, I've done enough to make, make it equal. It's not ever going to equal out. I'm a sinner. I'm down here. God is up here. And I just have to be thankful and grateful to God for that salvation. But I still need to be make, making sure that I am honoring him by doing what he's asked me to do. And he's going to be, reward me for what I do. So you have only one life to live. You only get one shot at this life. When you die, it is too late. It's too late uh, for you to decide, I wish I would have trusted Jesus as my Savior. It's too late to say, oh yeah, I wish I would have done what God asked me to do because it's done. It's like we had with the, the, the rich man of Lazarus. Once he, he died, and he, he, went, he jumped off that cliff. If you guys remember the jumping out of the airplane thing, at that point, it's done. There's no going back to try to make things right. So I would encourage you to make the most of the life that you have. Hopefully, you have 20 years to go, unless God takes us all home first. But you don't know. Maybe your, your, your end might be tomorrow. Your end might be three weeks from now. Make sure that you know Jesus as your Savior. Ask him if you need him to be your Savior. He wants to save you. That's the greatest thing that he wants us to do. That's one of the good works he wants us to do is to trust Jesus as our Savior. But also, you say, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. I want to encourage you to live for him. Don't make him just something else you have to do. Make him your life, and he will reward you for what you've done while you're in this body, okay? I guarantee you it will be worth it. You just, you're just going to have to take God's word for it. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your grace. God, I thank you for your salvation. God, because I don't deserve any of it. God, I've, I'm a, a wicked sinner that has, you, you know everything that I've done, except for that you've thrown it from the east as far as from the west, and you're not going to stick it in my face, God. But you know that I deserve hell. But you know that I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, so I thank you for the eternal life. God, I just pray for each one of us in here, God, that you would be our life. Uh, that we have crucified, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but you live through me. 
And I pray that you'd help us to, to have the courage to do that, have uh, the ability to understand what it is that you are asking us to do so that we can be faithful to it. I just pray for the help of anybody in here who wants to do that better. In Jesus' name, amen.